place it comfortably. So, second day. Um, yesterday's talk was about gratitude. Today's talk is about another very um, central and important part of Zen practice. And the title is Don't Just Observe Impermanence, Be Impermanence. Now, we all know from Buddhist philosophy, we all know from an abstract point of view as well as from an observational view, that it's a, it's a fundamental principle of Buddhist teachings that everything is impermanent. You know, everything that's born dies, um, all things pass away. And uh, as it says in the Diamond Sutra, it's one of our koans that we work on, all things are under the law of change. They are a dream, a phantom, a bubble or a shadow. They are like dew or a flash of lightning. You should contemplate like this. However, I want to emphasise um, that it's not only the things that we observe that are impermanent, as we, as the so-called observer, are impermanent as well. Mm -hmm. And we need to contemplate that we are like the dew disappearing in the sunshine, that we are like a flash of lightning. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But it's all very well to understand that in the abstract. Um, it's, not a, it's not a complicated thing to understand. It's probably quite a, probably quite a, a secular view of the world these days, mm -hmm. that everything is impermanent. But the essence of practice is that it moves from being, it starts as an abstract idea and then we can observe it, but it moves towards really um, embodying that experience of no self, that 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 ex that understanding of no self, which is not even an understanding. Mm -hmm. Even that is saying too much. As an example of looking at this, how we can understand things in the abstract, but not necessarily um, make them our own. I realised a number of years ago, maybe maybe ten years ago. So I was still a, I was a teacher then. And um, it occurred to me during um, one of the breaks, you know, between teaching, you know, time off over Christmas, that as much as I'd given talks on no self and so on, that I, I kind of realised that there was one place that I had a blind spot to. So I could see quite clearly, like everyone, that sensory phenomena come and go, you know, things you see, things you hear, things you feel. Um, it's quite clear that you can see that your body is impermanent, you know, apparently reprodu reproduce all new cells within seven years, so it's not the same body it was seven years ago. We understand that oxygen, food goes in, waste goes out, you know, that it's changing, so that's easy to see. And you can see that your thoughts come and go. Right? And you can see that your feelings, your emotions come and go. Mm -hmm. But what was the blind spot, even though abstractly I knew, you know, Zen philosophy, is that it's somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm still my consciousness. That's who I am. Now, I'm, I'm the conscious observer that sees all these phenomena coming and going. And I know, it, like... I've done Cohen's study, I know that that's, you know, you, you, you see that's just a construction. 
But at a lived level, I could see, oh, that's a, that's a blind spot. At some, some level, I, I was creating some kind of comfort in the idea, oh, yeah, but I'm really, I really am the conscious observer back there. Uh-huh. But there, even that is empty. Even that is impermanent. There's not, a, there's not a permanent thing inside you which is the conscious observer. There is, there is observing, absolutely, but that's a... Observing is a verb that describes a process, right? whereas an observer describes a thing, an, an entity. See, the core of the core of in practice, the core of this training, is that we we develop in life what could be referred to as an identity centre. You know, like we have a name and an ego and we, we have a status, a role, and we think that's who we are. So it's some, an identity centre is some kind of fixed idea of who we think we are. Now, it's not entirely delusional, you know, because like a plant or an animal or even a cloud, we have some kind of form to us. But it might be a better way of looking at it that what we shift to is not from um, an identity centre to nothing, but rather that we there's a shift that happens from being an identity centre to a cluster of energy. We're a cluster of energy, and the cluster of energy is an open system. And things come into it and things pass out of it, and it has a flow to it, has an impermanence to it. But it is nevertheless a cluster of energy which is there. Now, the degree to which we um, think and believe and act as though we are an identity centre, a fixed identity centre, is the degree to which we will suffer in life to one degree or another. And the degree to which we realise we're not that, that we're just a cluster of energy, then things, the way that we live our life actually transforms. And it's very important to be clear about this, not just in the way we live our lives, we live our everyday lives, but in the way we're actually meditating here, you know, through the through this week. It's really important. Um, to recognise um, that um, that you're not chasing, it, it, to recognise when you are chasing something. And when you're chasing something, you have an expectation. And when you're chasing something like peace or bliss or love, whatever it might be, whatever it is you're chasing is indicative that there's an I there chasing something, an I there expecting something. And so it's very clear that we see that, that we, a lot of what we're doing is chasing our tail, right? We, we keep chasing our tail looking for the happiness or the, the Kensho experience, whatever it might be, the flash of light. We keep chasing it, chasing it, chasing it, and that chasing creates a loop that keeps the identity centre going. Right? And we all realise, you do this long enough and you kind of realise, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm chasing my tail. Uh-huh. And I think that if I just concentrate even harder on the next moment, something will shift. Right? Uh, that's chasing. 
you know, it's expecting something. Um, but you do it long enough and somehow you see more clearly that that's what's actually going on. And it reduces the sense of I. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it, it, it's probably something, sometimes doing session, it can, that sense of expectation um, and chasing can um, drop away quite considerably sometimes, and then it may come back in your everyday life. But my sense is from my own experience and seeing people practicing Zen over many years, it, it's not easy to let go of expectation. Um, it clings to you. And it's only through a lot of sitting practice and daily practice and session and life experience too is very important through all those things that it it drops away. You know, and when it drops away our, our life is, is lighter. And speaking of lightness, what is important in our practice is also bringing a sense of humour to this. Um, you know, you can make you can make practice into something very grim. You know, managing the pain and all of that. Um, but Zen is imbued with humour as well because it's kind of very funny in a sense. The fact that we get caught up in these identity centres and think that they're so real. Mm-hmm. And the nature of a lot of um, the nature of a lot of not all humour, but the nature of a lot of humour, is actually bursting the bubble of pomposity. You know, a lot of, a lot of British humour is like that, um, and or the if not pomposity, the the bubble of being right or being certain. Slipping on a banana skin is a kind of an example of it. But and as an example of it. Um, um, there's a particular Monty Python sketch which every time I watch it I find it very funny. And you may remember, but it's where um, one of the Monty Python characters is dressed up in, a, in regal robes and so on, and he's doing that pretend fake horse thing clopping along. <laughs> and he comes down to a farm where some peasants are working, and he says in this pompous voice, um, my name is Arthur and I'm king of the Britons. And... And one of the peasants says, well, who are the Britons? Uh, he says, well, we're Britons, we're all Britons, and, and I'm Arthur, king of the Britons. And then one of the other peasants says, well, I haven't heard of any kings, I just thought we were a collective around here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of it bursts the bubble of pomposity, right? And as in, in our Zen practice, we need to bring that sense of humour to it, you know, where we're bursting the bubble of our own pomposity, whatever form it takes, um, whatever form of being a king or a queen or a prince or a, a princess is, as well as even the construction of being a peasant. There aren't even any peasants. They're just people tilling the ground. Right? There aren't no peasants. And there no, there's no kings or queens. Just people doing what they're doing without status. It's what we come to. Again, a, a personal example of this is um, where I saw as I caught in my own identity still. See, what happens with Zen practice, you can still, we're still all caught in this to one degree or another. It's, a, it's sort of the level that we're caught at. But at the same time, you catch that you're caught and, and you burst the bubble of it. 
And an example of this coming back to the surgery I had again is that when I was first diagnosed having coronary heart disease, um, I remember that the reaction to it immediately was one of resistance and even resentment. It was like, and it was kind of, but I'm not one of those people. Like, I, I'm healthy. I, I, you know, I'm not obese. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't eat McDonald's for breakfast. I'm, I'm not one of them. Right? Oh, yes, but you are. You know, that, you know coronary heart disease. Right? So it's like you see that you're actually caught in an identity. I'm a healthy person, do you know? That's who I am. No, you're not. The doctors kept telling me. And so, again, it's not as though the resentment or the resistance doesn't come up, but if you practice well enough, you see it quickly and you see it clearly and you, and you burst the bubble of this clinging to an identity. You see, you see the humour in it much more easily. Whereas if you, you don't have that capacity, you keep clinging to the resentment or the denial, mm-hmm. and the, there's consequences of doing that. Death could be one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, life is always, if we're holding on to something and we're holding on to an identity, um, the, the more tightly, the more we'll suffer. The less tightly, the less we'll suffer. If we don't hang on to it at all, well, we'd probably be fully enlightened. Um, but life has a way of pulling the rug out from underneath us when we're caught in some identity. I mean, getting coronary heart disease was a way of life pulling the rug out from underneath me mm-hmm. to make me see that there's this clinging, still a clinging to an identity there. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it happens for all of us. And um, that's why it's important, as um, Dogen emphasises, um, it's not just to meditate and expect nothing, but to live your life and expect nothing. Mm-hmm. Not, not easy to do. Um, but this is, a, this is a, a, an opportunity through quietness and very focused attention to see how much we do expect and to see through the folly of it and, and through this experience is that we then bring that into our, into our everyday lives. So it's always good to often end talks with a metaphor because people can often hold a metaphor lightly as a way of taking it away. But as I've mentioned before, one of one of Joko's metaphors that she used quite frequently wasn't she didn't make it up. It came from a a Japanese Zen teacher a um, long time ago. That this identity centre is like a frozen block of emotion, thought. Throw consciousness in there too, right? A, a frozen block of who I am, and our 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 practice is to melt that frozen block of emotion thought and then when it melts it's like it's a, it flows it's a stream mm-hmm. um, and that's that's the core of what our practice is and I come back again these are words I want to come back to over and again because they really resonate with me 
is that Joko described the experience of no self as being an open, spacious response to life. An open, spacious response to life. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful description of what our practice is about. So if you're clinging to an, an, an identity centre, it's very difficult to be open and spacious. It's all about me. Right? <laughs> it's not about responding to what actually occurs. It's all about me. And that is the, that is the nature of our practice. So as you meditate, be really clear about noticing when you're expecting something, recognising it, letting it go, and just doing the practice moment to moment. And you you do that here, you you do it long enough, um, and it does transform into your everyday life. Thank you.